Hello everyone, it's End Times Talk, and welcome to our second documentary that we've ever made here. Uh, you know, the first documentary we made on the pre-tribulation rapture, and once again, we're going to make another documentary on the pre-tribulation rapture. This one is part two. This one has a lot of different information packed into it. None of the information that you heard before in the first documentary will you be hearing in this documentary. I can almost guarantee 90% of you have not heard some of the information that will be presented here today. So I would watch the video all the way up until its end because there is some jam-packed information in this video, all right? Some very, very good information. And so I want to present to you my friend who was ex-Illuminati. His name was Doc Marquis. And I took one of these clips of him and I put it in this video because I want people to know what this man taught. Very intelligent man, very on point, all right? And knows exactly what he's talking about. Check this out going to get into the actual historical usages of the rapture to prove this is not a new word, this was not a word invented by John Darby, and this particular word is more than 1,700 years old. The easiest place we can begin is really with the Schofield Reference Bible of 1909. In that Bible, 1909, it uses the word rapture. Now, let's go back a little further to 1878. William Eugene Blackstone wrote in his book, Jesus is Coming, about the rapture. Now, this is where we get right around the time of um, John Nelson Darby. Now, in his book, here with the Wake, which was written in 1866, Charles Kingsley wrote, He was wrapped on high and saw St. Peter. Remember the word rapture back then was um, the word wrapped, R-A-P-T or R-A-P-T-E. And he wrote, uh, you know, um, Charles Kingsley wrote in his book, He was wrapped on high and saw St. Peter. Now, here is where it gets interesting. We're going to go back to 1748, more than a century now, before Charles Nelson Darby, to a gentleman known as John Gills. And in his New Testament commentary, he wrote of the rapture. Now, this can't be possible if John Nelson Darby coined the new phrase, you know, the rapture. This was supposed to have been the first time, and this was supposed to have been the first time the concept of the pre-tribulation rapture had come about. But as you see, can see, ladies and gentlemen, already a century before John Nelson Darby, the word rapture was being used. But let's go back even further. In 1738, the Reverend Philip Doddridge, um, he had his Doctorate of Divinity, wrote of the rapture in his New Testament commentary. And that was in 1738. Before that, 
1667, we're now almost two centuries before John Nelson Darby. In his book, Paradise Lost, John Milton wrote, wrapped in a, wrapped in a chariot drawn by fiery steeds. Of course, he was talking about the taking away of Elijah. In 1610, John Gwilliam wrote to this place where Enoch, Elias, and Paul wrapped up before their deaths. Now this is in his book, Display of Heraldry, and this was written three and a half centuries before John Darby. William Bond, he wrote in his book, Pilgrim of Perfection, in 1526, when he was wrapped and taken up into the third heaven. Now this was written um, um, almost four and a half centuries, I mean three and a half centuries before John Nelson Darby. In his book, The Chronicle of Troy, um, John Lingate wrote, In this wise were the brethren twain to heaven wrapped as these poets feign. And the Chronicles of Troy, as best as we can tell, was written between 1412 and 1420. The point is, um, the Chronicles of Troy were written almost four and a half centuries before John Nelson um, Darby supposedly coined the phrase or supposedly came up with the pre-tribulation concept. In the Vernon Manuscript, which was written in 1400, it was written by visions of St. Paul when he was wrapped into paradise. And then um, the Polychronicon, which was written in 1350 by Randolph Higdon. He wrote, Helios was wrapped in this time. Let's go all the way back now. Let's just bring it back to 382 here, just skip through, where we find out St. Jerome, who wrote the Latin Vulgate, used the word rapio, the original Latin word, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Rapio is the Latin word for the Greek word hapezo. That's where it comes from. People will say, well, the word rapture isn't in the Bible, it is. In the Latin Vulgate, the word rapio, the word for rapture, is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. So you see, the word rapture is not a new um, um, word or a new coin expression by John Nelson Darby. No, this is all. And so I want to talk about something myself here, and, and it says in Matthew chapter 24, verse, verse, verse 40 through 42, it says, then, then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Alright, so it's, it's basically saying there's going to be people working in the field, when the pre-tribulation happens, all right, one is going to be taken, the other is going to be left, 
all right, two women are going to be grinding at the mill, and, and it's, you know, a, a millstone that they have outside where they grind down the wheat into flour, okay? And so uh, uh, two are going to be grinding at the mill. One is going to be taken, the other is going to be left. And so this is obviously speaking of the rapture. It's in Matthew chapter 24 when, where we see that the things that are that are coming upon the earth before the Great Tribulation, even though it does touch upon the Great Tribulation, it is speaking of the pre-tribulation rapture here, I believe. All right, and so what I want people to know is, is that two people are not going to be out in the field during the tribulation. I want you to know that. Think about this for a second. It talks about in the Bible about all unholiness being unleashed upon mankind and the judgments of God falling upon mankind, starvation and all that stuff. And on top of it, on top of it, the law is going to forbid it. The law is going to forbid farming. They're already doing it to the Dutch. They're, they're already doing it to the Irish. Okay, they are literally banning farming. So how can two people be plowing in the field when it's illegal, all right, and when it's too dangerous to be out there during the Great Tribulation? Think about that, people. That is just a small little pinch of proof that there is a pre-tribulation rapture and that this is speaking of a time before the great tribulation it's going to be too dangerous out there during the great tribulation to be out there growing crops you better have stocked up by that time you better have seven years worth of freeze-dried food to be able to survive the great tribulation if you get to that point i'll tell you that much right now <clears throat> And so what people need to know is, is that, is that even, even fallen angels are going to be being unleashed upon mankind to slaughter mankind, all right? Viruses and things like that. There isn't going to be two people plowing in the field, all right? There isn't going to be two people grinding at the mill. There isn't going to be no wheat to grind, all right? Let's get into the pre-tribulation rapture of the church right now. The whole of it, the concept, where did it come from? Now... Going by this photo here, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who don't recognize it, this is what's known as the Mount of Olives. Now, according to what we find out from the scriptures, the second coming of Christ is when he physically, and this is a physical event now, touches upon the Mount of Olives and it splits in two when he arrives at the Battle of Armageddon. The rapture happens years before this event. Um, just look this up in Zechariah 14.2, um, yeah, verses um, 2-4, and Revelation verse 20, verses 11-21. through 21. We can find out that the very first mention, if you would, of the um, concept of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church actually happened before the arrival of John Nelson Darby. The easiest way to do this, ladies and gentlemen, let's just go through the ancient manuscript and see what the ancient Christians and our forefathers said. Here we have the Reverend Thomas Scott. He lived from 1747 to 1821. Now in 1792, the Reverend Thomas Scott taught that the righteous will be carried to heaven where they will be secured until the time of the judgment is over. He is principally known for his best work, which was titled, A Commentary on the Whole Bible and the Force of Truth. See, 
it isn't modern people that have been writing commentaries of the Bible. This has been going on for centuries. And so has the teaching of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Remember, this man lived during the 18th century. His writings were um, almost a century before John Nelson Darby now. Um, in this next example, Dr. John McKnight. Now, doc, Dr. John McKnight was an 18th century biblical commentator and he taught in his books that the righteous will be carried to heaven until the judgment of the tribulation period is over with. Here is Pastor John Gill. Now, Pastor John Gill lived from 1697 through 1771. Pastor Gill was an English Baptist pastor, a biblical scholar and theologian who taught in his commentary of the New Testament of the imminent return of Christ first in pre-rapture and then he will return again to judge the earth and that would be at Armageddon. But notice how he taught of the imminent return of Christ first in pre-rapture. And this was almost two centuries before John Nelson Darby supposedly came up with it and supposedly before Margaret MacDonald had a vision. If we go back even further, we, get, we find the Reverend Morgan Edwards. Now, Reverend Edwards was a um, clergy in the American Revolution, a Welsh historian of religion, a Baptist pastor, and notable he was noted in his day and age for his teaching on the rapture. And this again would be more than a century before John Nelson Darby would ever write of it. Here we have the Reverend Philip Doddridge. He also had his Doctorate of Divinity and he lived from 1702 to 1751. Um, in his commentary on the New Testament, which was written in 1738, he taught along the same lines of John Gill, a pre-tribulation rapture perspective. In um, 1639 through 1723, Peter Giroux, who also had his Doctor of Divinity, Excuse me. In his book, Approach and Deliverance of the Church, which was written in 1687, he wrote that Christ would return during the rapture and take his saints to heaven and later return at the Battle of Armageddon. And this was centuries before John Nelson Darby supposedly came up with the idea. Um, here we have the American... Um, 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 Puritan father, Reverend Increase Mather, and below him is his son, um, Cotton Mathers. And both taught that believers um, would be raptured in the air, followed by judgments upon the earth, which is the tribulation period, and then after that, the millennial reign of Christ would begin. Ladies and gentlemen, how much clearer can we make it? They're in perfect order according to the scriptures. Pre-tribulation rapture, 
um, the tribulation period will happen and then the millennial reign of Christ. I mean, come on, ladies and gentlemen, this is all in the Bible. We know it. Isaac Watts, who was um, a theologian and recognized as the father of the English hymn, having written somewhere around 750 hymns now, many of which are used to this very day and translated into I don't even know how many different languages, he wrote of his pre-tribulation rapture belief. Now this was back in 1674, between, um, I should say, um, between 1674 and 1748. Again, centuries before John Nelson Darby. Thomas Collier wrote of a two-stage coming. Christ first appearing in the clouds of heaven, and next, later on, um, um, when the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ would begin. In other words, he held to a pre-tribulation rapture of the church over 200 years before John Nelson Darby. Joseph Mead, and I should say Professor Joseph Mead, was an English scholar who became a fellow at Christ College, Cambridge, in England, in 1613. He is remembered as a biblical scholar, naturalist, Egyptologist, Hebraist, and a lecturer of Greek, who wrote of the pre-tribulation rapture in 1627 in his book, Clavis Apocalypti, which from the Latin means the key of the Apocalypse, or the keys to um, the um, book of Revelation. That's it, the key of the Revelation. Um, this was back in 1627, ladies and gentlemen, but we can go further. This next one, ladies and gentlemen, is going to throw you for a bit of a loop. Francisco Rivera was a Spanish Jesuit theologian identified with the futurist Christian eschatological view and wrote of his pre-tribulation rapture of the church beliefs in his book, The Holy Apostle St. John and Evangelist, Commentary on Revelation, and that was written in 1590. And here we have a Jesuit priest who recognized the pre-tribulation rapture of the church back in 1590. Uh, Brother um, Dolcino and his sect, the Apostolic Brethren, taught a pre-tribulation rapture of the church in 1304. 1304, ladies and gentlemen, this is over five and a half centuries now before John Nelson Darby. In 1304. Um, Francis X. Gumelot found this material in a text called The History of Brother Dolcino in 1316, but they were condemned by Pope Honorius IV for their radical teachings. Remember, these were Catholic um, um, followers, but he, Brother Dolcino, still recognized, and in his own writing, the pre-tribulation of the rapture of church. Remember, um, the Catholic Church um, especially during the Spanish Inquisition, was heavily suppressing anything that they personally did not believe in and they told you, you better believe in. Um, during the 7th through the 8th century, there was an abbot known as Chilfred. Now, he was the abbot of Monkswear Mount Jarrow Abbey in a medieval rap 
and a medieval writer who wrote about the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ as two separate and distinct events. Now this was dangerous for him to do so because the Inquisition that was going on by the Catholic Church was going on during his time. But nevertheless, he still wrote that um, the second coming of Christ and the rapture were two different and distinct events. Now, between 431 AD through around 1500, any mention of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church perspective was made outlaw by the Catholic Church and deemed heretical and punishable by death. And it was in 432, um, the Council of Ephesus, the Catholic Church decrees and condemns pre-millennial views as heresies. Books and such are destroyed or altered. Nevertheless, there are more than enough ancient texts for me to take you along this timeline that we've been on thus far. Even before 432, there was a gentleman known as Augustine, who was the Bishop of North Africa. <coughs> he was born in 354 and lived through 430. Augustine was an early Christian theologian and philosopher whose writing heavily influenced the development of Western Christianity. Many Protestants consider him to be one of the theological fathers of the Protestant Reformation because of his teaching on salvation and divine grace. And he wrote of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Now if we go by um, the um, timing of when Augustine was the Bishop of North Africa, well, this would have occurred somewhere around 1,500 years before John Nelson Darby supposedly came up with the concept of the pre-tribulation of the rapture of the church because supposedly of Margaret MacDonald's vision. But let's go back even further. Um, let's go back to Ephraim of Nicebus, 306-373. Ephraim the, Sirius, or the Syrian, or who's also known as Ephraim the, of Nicebus, was a medieval writer and theologian who also wrote of the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ and how, and how they are both two separate and distinct events. You can't get them mixed up as so many people have been trying saying, well, no, the, this rapture is the second coming, or, you know, no. These are separate events. And this was written upon even during the 4th century. But let's go back even further to Lactantius, 248 to 320. Um, Lactantius was an early Christian author and apologist who was an advisor to Constantine, the first historical pope, and he also tutored Constantine's son. He also wrote of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the saints with Jesus Christ, and his millennial reign in his book, 
the Divine Institutes. Now, he was considered to be somewhat heretical after his death. Because remember, when you're talking about these, shall we say, Protestant beliefs, it just doesn't quite cut it with the Catholic Church. Victorinus, the Bishop of Pitau, we don't know exactly when he was born, but we know he died somewhere around 304 AD. Now, he wrote an early commentary on the book of Revelation, and in Revelation 6.14 explained that at that point the church had already been taken away. Speaking of Revelation 4.1, sometime in the future when that passage would be fulfilled. In other words, he recognized and told us back in the third century now that Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 is speaking when the church had already been taken away. In other words, a rapture had happened. Cyprian, the Bishop of Carthage, was an important Christian writer and became the Bishop of Carthage somewhere around 248 or 249 AD. Now he, like so many other Christian writers, wrote of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, which is the central argument for the pre-tribulation rapture view. And Cyprian lived from 200 AD to 258 AD. Now obviously this is many, many, many centuries before John Nelson Darby ever showed up. Now for those of you who have done your Christian homework and studies, I'm sure many of you will recognize um, this name, Hippolytus of Rome. Now, Hippolytus was a third century theologian. He was a student of Arrhenius and Christian writer, if not one of the most controversial figures in his day and age. He taught that God and Jesus were one, that there's a special relationship between the Jews, God, and the Christians, he also taught of the rapture and the second coming of Christ when he comes to destroy the Antichrist and his forces. Now, there's another book, um, one in particular, it's known as The Apocalypse of Elijah. Um, it was written, as best as we know, somewhere around 150 AD. It could be dated maybe also some say to 272 AD. It's hard to say, but it could go somewhere around 150. Now, the Apocalypse of Elijah is an extra-biblical book about the events surrounding the end times. The author does not claim to be the biblical Elijah, but appears to have taken on his name. In the fifth chapter of his book, it contains a passage on the rapture. It says, Christ will have pity on his people and send his angels to snatch up those who have his seal on their hands and foreheads. Those raptured saints will receive white robes and eat of the tree of life and live safely in heaven away from the Antichrist. Afterwards, the experiences of the catastrophic end time events, now we're talking about the four sets of seven judgments, in the end, Christ returns with the saints who reign with him for a thousand years. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a flawless, detailed set of 
um, if you would, um, explanations of what the Bible have, has been saying all along. And this particular, the Apocalypse of Elijah, could have been written maybe only 60 years after John um, wrote the book of Revelation. Another thing that I want to point out, all right, is it says in the Bible that you should be pr praying that you're worthy to escape all these things to come, all right? It's complete ignorance that people pass over these sort of scriptures, okay, when you have people that believe in a mid- and post-tribulation rapture. They completely skip over this sort of stuff. They don't even touch upon it. It says, pray that you're worthy to escape all these things to come. To escape what? To escape the great tribulation. It says the same thing basically in Malachi chapter 3 verse 16 through 17. It talks about those that fear the Lord, that spoke often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it in a book of rem a remembrance was written before him. Uh, that that uh, those that thought often upon the Lord and spoke often one to another, all right, that those people would be spared as a father spares a son who serves him. All right, and so I want people to understand that, that that all throughout the Bible, it's talking about these things about God sparing His people, and and Doc Marquis has already proven in in the last documentary that I made how how you know God will spare those whom He declares to be righteous outside of His impending judgment. All right, it's just flat out how it is. All right, God has a formula that He goes by. Something I also want to comment on and say is is it's very interesting that all these these people that were dealing with these situations were raptured right before God's judgment. Right before God's judgment. Look at Noah. He was brought into the ark right before the flood came. All right. Look at look at Lot. He was taken out of Sodom and Gomorrah and went to Zohar. All right. Uh, because there was an impending judgment coming for Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. So so you always have this formula of God sparing those people right before God's judgment falls. All right, and a lot of people are like pre-wrath this and mid-trib and post-trib, and they got all these different names and all these confusing things to sow discord and to decrease morality within the Christian ranks. All right, that's the big thing is is, is they they want you to to think that there is no boat to catch, right? That there's no train to catch, and that you know you could just keep living how you're living, and we're all gonna go through it. The testing will come when when you know the Antichrist is upon the earth, you know, and and that's an absolute lie. The testing is now, all right? God is testing you now. He's testing us to see what we're made out of now, all right? Let's rise to the occasion, and let's be what he's intended us to be. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth.
and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except that the Lord hath shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days.
If you don't know the Lord and you want to know Jesus Christ, you can find him anytime. And I'm going to teach you how right now. You got to believe with your heart, it says in the Bible, and confess with your mouth. If you already believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died and rose again, and that he paid the ultimate price so that way your sins could be forgiven. He led a perfect life, and he died, and he gave it all up, and he took all that weight upon his shoulders of the sin of the world, and he bore it all on his shoulders so that way we could have remission of sin. All right? If you believe that, you've already won half the battle. Now it's time to confess with your mouth. I would like for you to pray with me this salvation prayer. Dear Jesus, I give myself to you, I repent, Lord. I repent of all the wrongdoings. Every, all of the bad choices I've ever made in my life. And I ask you to wash me clean with your precious blood, Lord. I just ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, knowing and unknowing. And I ask you to make me and to the person I'm meant to be in you, in you, Jesus Christ. Give me purpose. Reveal your plan to me for my life. Help me to walk in righteousness. Help me to lead and not follow. Help me to win souls, Lord. Use me to further your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, for my salvation. I plead upon your precious blood, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, you are saved. All you got to do is believe that Jesus died and rose again, all right, and that he died for your sins, and then confess with your mouth that he did so, that he truly is the King of Kings. So I appreciate each and every one of you watching this video. May God bless you. May God keep you. And don't forget to go out and change the world in which you live.